0: The uh, scripture for this morning comes from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, David. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Yumiko Nakagawa. I'm one of the pastors here at Wellspring Covenant Church. It's wonderful to worship with you. And just to reassure you, I have taken the COVID test fresh this morning and very clearly negative. So I'm taking off mask for the just to help you. <laughs> feel. I guess you can hear me better. Uh, we are in the middle of the sermon series called Rework uh, here at Wellspring today. <clears throat> And in this series, we have been learning about various examples of reworking throughout the Bible. And we're doing this because, as um, the preaching team, we believe reworking is a very important part of equipping. Mending, equipping, releasing is a very important thing that we value here at Wellspring. And some of the, um, actually, that's the first thing you see when you click on a Wellspring web page. And some of the past sermon series focused a lot on mending, and current series uh, is focusing on equipping. So I guess you can guess what's coming next eventually is releasing, but not quite yet. As we continue to learn about equipping, what does it mean to be equipped and what does it look like for us to equip, um, this morning I would like us to actually go back to basics. Very plain, basic thing of reading the Bible. I know that's something super basic, maybe you're like, oh, okay, that sounds really boring and dry. But I think that reading the Bible is essential for our equipping. So um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that today. And there are, you know, all of you read the Bible, one or, or another. There are many ways we engage with the Scripture in our daily lives. Some of you open the Bible and read it regularly for your personal devotional time. Some of you, maybe um, your primary engagement with the text is on Sunday at church when the scripture shows up on the screen. And people also engage with the text, with the scripture in a different intensity. I know some of you spend Hours and hours on just a couple verses in the Bible, sometimes even on just one word. Maybe because you have no choice because you're in a seminary, or maybe that's your idea of fun Friday night, of just thinking about one word in a Bible. That's great. Bless you. (laughs) For some of you, the engagement with the the text is a little bit different. Uh, It may be that you are engaging with the Scripture, at the greeting cards aisle in Long's when you're searching for this card that you want to send to a family member who needs a comfort and encouragement and celebration. We also engage with the Scripture for different reasons. Some of us turn the pages looking for answers in the Bible. Some of us read from the page one in the Bible because you want to learn everything about Christianity, everything about God, without particular question in mind. See, we read and study and ponder on the Scriptures in very different ways for different reasons. But whatever the ways your engagement with the Bible Scripture looks like, I think there are two things that might be really helpful for us to keep in mind. And these two things that I'm gonna share is, again, it's nothing new. Nothing exciting, nothing cutting edge about it. Um, but I personally find, whether that's on a greeting card or spending a couple words on a text intensively, when I pay attention to these two things, I always find something very new, very exciting in the scripture. Whether that's the first time reading it or a thousand times. Well, I don't think I read any passage a thousand times. That's a lie. <laughs> Tenth time that I read it, uh, I always find something really exciting and new. So today, I want us to practice that together. Read this particular passage David just read for us, and paying attention to these two things that matters. And I hope this small exercise of uh, will help us teach, uh, help us learn maybe a thing or two about the importance and impact of going back to basics. So what are those two things? Number one, first thing, context matters. Take today's passage for example, right? The context of this passage is, in the beginning, God created heavens and earth, and God created Adam and Eve. And there comes Abraham, Was a special person who came off from Adam and Eve's family, so many lines down, and God made a covenant with this Abraham and said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to increase your family members to as many as you cannot imagine, and with this people going to be my people, God's people. What that mean was, God's going to embody God's love and commitment with all the people in the world of all generations through the relationship with this God's chosen people. Couple generations later, this God's people found themselves in Egypt as slaves. Not so great, but Moses was called by God to take this group of people, God's people, out from Egypt. So that begins the story of Exodus. And Moses and his people just go, I'm not supposed to go this way, so I'm going to go this way. <laughs> goes around Egypt, uh, goes, uh, leave the Egypt, and spends 40 years in desert, going around, going everywhere, wandering around, looking for this promised land. Eventually, they get to the edge of the promised land. Moses could see whole of the promised land from the top of the mountain, Wow, this is going to be a promised land. Moses wasn't able to actually enter into the promised land, but that's okay. A new leader, Joshua, took this God's special people into the promised land. That's the the beginning of the settlement in the promised land. Great. But once they started to settle down in a promised land, things unfortunately didn't work out automatically, perfectly, wonderfully, rosy, perfect, right? People keep uh, breaking the promise with God, doing things that they're not supposed to do, like worshiping different gods, and they weren't doing the things they were supposed to do, like taking care of orphans and widows and foreigners and ruling the nation with injustice. So then, okay, God called these people called judges to lead the people to God, Tried it a couple times. Okay, this doesn't work. People still are doing whatever they want to do. So the judges didn't work. You can read about it in the book of Judges. Oh, surprise. And didn't work. So then they tr- God will try king. God calls Saul to be the first king. In the following 500 years, in span of um, 500 years, there are uh, among the kingdom of Israel, That actually started as one kingdom split to two, so there's three different kingdoms. I guess you can, however you want to count it. There are 42 kings altogether. Out of 42 kings, about eight kings, they did a great job of following God, leading their people to God. The rest of, 42 minus 8, 34 kings weren't doing so great. They continued to ignore God. They continued to break the covenant with God. They continued to not fulfill what they were supposed to do and ruled the nation again with injustice. But there was one of the very few exceptions named King Josiah. He was excellent. King of Judah, that was what they were called, the country was called that time. He was perfect king. Well, I shouldn't say perfect. He was a pretty good king, right? He was embodying himself, what that looks like, a life following God. And he was doing social and uh, religious reform using his authority as a king to lead the nation back to God. So things are looking pretty good for Judah and people of Israel until he got killed in a battle. And then after that, things went back to downhill for Judah. And that's when this huge superpower, nation empire called Empire Babylon, attacked Israel. In the first attack, they took a a bunch of important people like um, Daniel, from the book of Daniel, Queen mothers and other people like professionals, cream of crops of the nation were taken from Jerusalem into Babylon. Sorry, I gotta go back. I forgot like I lost a track of context. <laughs> so they're a taken away. That was not good. Oh, I wanted to tell you one more thing. So that was happening. People were taken away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now again, this is the major superpower. But that wasn't the only superpower. There were other superpowers like Assyria. They kind of going down. Egypt. And those three, eventually two countries, of Babylon and Egypt, was in a power struggle. They tried to establish a dominance over the whole region. And there was this small country of Judah, the kingdom where all these Israelites lived, were caught in the middle. When a country was attacked by a superpower, their important people, the leaders, are taken away. Things doesn't look too great. But fortunately for Israel, Israelites, things weren't over quite yet at that point. Yes, there was an imminent danger, and the country was facing this unforeseen level of threat. While wars and battles were always a part of the Israel's history from the very beginning of the country, this one was very different in terms of level of scale and impact. In the past, when Israel, Israel was attacked, it was about territories that some parts are taken away, they win back some parts, defending some part of the border. But this one is not about the territories. This one was about the survival of that country. So things, as you can imagine, were quite chaotic. People were confused, and it was an unsettling feeling. They were scared, uncertain. It was definitely an unprecedented time for the Israelites. Nothing like this ever happened to them before, and the lives their lives were hugely impacted, and nobody knew what exactly was going to happen. Are, they, are the Babylonians really gonna come take over us? They don't know for sure. Are other countries gonna come help us? They don't know for sure. Doesn't this sound a little bit familiar to us? I mean, some of you might be thinking a specific part of the world right now, that's what's happening. And some of you might be thinking a recent experience that we all had like, say, pandemic, we had never seen something like that before. And we didn't know what exactly was going on. Some people thought they knew what exactly was going on. Some people didn't think so. Some people said, oh, you wear a mask, it's okay, no, mask is not helpful. Oh, as long as you get vaccine, that's okay. Oh, no, no, vaccine is not for real. Actually, COVID is not real. Oh, no, no, COVID is a real threat. Along with that, there is actual imminent threat that we're feeling. You see people getting sick. You see hospital beds are full. All these things are happening. And when things like that happen, there's a lot of opinions, a lot of voices, a lot of emotions, and the country was divided. Whole world was divided. And so was it for the Israelites. Some people felt like, oh, we should go with the Babylons. Because, you know, I think they're powerful. They're not that bad. We should go with them before they just annihilate us. Some people say, no, 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 no. We got to fight. We got to fight against Babylon. We got a chance. So the country was divided and the stake was high. And they're hearing all these different voices. All the neighboring countries around Israelites was gathering and telling them, hey, don't give up. Don't raise the white flag yet. And there's a reason why they say that, right? Because when a powerful nation attack a small country, what are other surrounding countries, whether small or big, what are they thinking? They're not just thinking, oh, that's interesting. Let me bookmark it so I can check up the status and see how it goes, right? They're not thinking that. They're thinking, uh-oh, Babylon attacked Judah. We're next. And they don't want Israel to raise the flag because if they said, oh, okay, Babylon can come in and take over us, now it's going to be their turn and they need to defend themselves. So of course the neighboring countries say, oh, we're going to help you. We're going to help you protect the border. We're going to help you protect the country. And they hear all these voices and there's a rumor that maybe Egypt will come help you. There's all these things that you hear. Nothing is sure they don't know what they don't know what to do, and the worst of all is the fate of the Judah, the fate of the Israelites are not in their hands, because ultimately, what decides the fate of them is who would win the regional dominance—Babylon, Egypt, or some country that they never seen. Nobody knew anything for sure, but stakes were high. And in such chaotic time, a voice of God was delivered by a prophet. And his name was Hananiah. Thus says the Lord. Hananiah says, and two things in the previous chapter of Jeremiah 28. God, first thing, it says, God would destroy the king of Babylon. And the second thing Hananiah said is, don't worry, everyone, things are looking really bleak right now, but everything will be over in two years. Two years. God will bring back all the people who are taken to Babylon, back to Jerusalem, things will be back to normal. People, of course, wanted everything to be over, right? And desperately wanted searching for uncertain—not uncertain, certainties. So, to them, this message made sense. What they wanted to hear. I mean, after all, Hananiah, you're right. We are the Israelites, God's chosen people. That's right, God had delivered us from impossible circumstances in Egypt in a desert and delivered us before. God has helped us win the battle against strong enemies like Philistines before. Yes, so that's right. How even though things look so unlikely that we be able to crush the strong regional power of Babylon, God is on our side. We have nothing to fear. That makes sense. And here comes Jeremiah, literally come to face to face to Hananiah and said, nope, you are wrong. And he brought so many of the messages that you can see in a Jeremiah 20, which it's quite exciting to read. Uh, we will not read that today. But the one line that Jeremiah says to the face and to the, um, Hananiah is this, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. It's not an argument of what's likely, unlikely, what makes sense, what people want. The Lord has not sent you. Two prophets, both of their profession is to hear from God and deliver the message to the people. Both claim to have heard from God and, and went head to head both claim, that says the Lord, God will crush the Babylonians. It will be over in two years. That says the Lord, God they do not send you. Not really helpful from the standpoint of Israelites, whether they're in Jerusalem or they're the captives of Babylon, who is looking for some concrete information, something that they can rely on, God's voice, this is not helpful. They were struggling with a question like, would it be Egypt or would it be Babylon who would win the dominance in the region? Are, there na- are the neighboring countries right? Should we rise up and fight against the Babylon or should we not? Which prophets are really speaking God's voice? Is it really going to be over in two years or not? What is God really saying to us? And that's when this passage was delivered. That's when today's passage was delivered. To these people, God said these words in Jeremiah that David just read. That's the context of today's passage. And now that we got some idea about the context, and there's a lot more to it, but now that we got some idea about it, let's shift the gears and pay attention to its contents. And that's the second thing that's going to keep in that we it's good to keep in mind as we read the Bible. As much as the context matters, content also matters. So what's in this today's passage? What was God's message to the people. There are a couple, there are so, actually not a couple of things, so many things in this passage, so much, but I'm going to highlight just the two things today. Otherwise, we'll be here all week. So first, in this message, via Jeremiah, um, from God, God gives a clear answer to one of the questions, which of the prophets are right? Um, sorry, I lost my track. Okay. As the slide says, the Lord also contradicts, makes a good point in uh, the contrasting points, but clearly he says, God says, I didn't send Hananiah or people like Hananiah. Even though people may use God's name, God didn't send them. And God points, uh, directly contradicts with Hananiah, make that point clear. Hananiah said two years it's going to be over, and God says, no, no, no. It's not going to be over in two years. This whole thing is going to last at least 70 years. Clear contradiction or correction of the word of Hananiah. And instead of destruction that Hananiah spoke, the crash of the Babylonians, God speaks of peace. Instead of fighting against uh, the Babylonians' empire, instead of inviting God's people to rise up and fight against Babylonians, God invites God's people to pray, as you see in Jeremiah 28, verse 2, and also Jeremiah 29, verse 7, which would be in, I think, the next one. Oh, maybe, I don't know if you see it. God's first message in this, this, uh, God's first content in this message is don't listen to the people who are not sent by God. No matter how smart they might be, no matter how much their message may be what you want to hear, if that's not the person God sent, do not listen. That's the first message in this passage. The second thing is in this passage is this To the people who are waiting for God to grant, their wishes and desires to return to Jerusalem and go back to the way it, everything was, to see the fall of Babylon have their justice. God says to build the houses, plant gardens, and increase in numbers, and seek the prosperity of the city and people in it, and pray. That's what the passage, Jeremiah 29, says. What the Israelites wanted was the life back in Jerusalem as everything was business as usual, with the families, with their familial trade, and their home. But instead, God is placing them in a new place to live, in a new vocation, a new family, a new neighbor. None of it is what they chose, but God placed them in that place with the people surrounding them. And to follow this God's invitation, command, however you want to call it, would be a painful process for these people who received the message. Remember, these are the people who just got uprooted abruptly from the their home in the city of Jerusalem, and taken to Babylon, it wasn't their choice. They were forced to do this. And for them to build a new home in a Babylon, as they would do that, they remember the home they left back in Jerusalem. As they plant the gardens, and then they remember the gardens they have watered and taken care of back in Jerusalem, As they marry their children and then welcome a new life, they remember the family they left behind. Everything God commanded them to do will remind them of the pains and disappointments they had. And as they pray for their new neighbors and the prosperity of the city of the empire that destroyed the very thing they had back home, they could not do that without pain and all this mixed emotions of what they have lost. They were uprooted from the land God had given to them. And over so many generations, they have cultivated the life and many memories in this new land. But they have to start all over again in a city of not their choice, in a, in a timing that they not was not choice what they're facing wasn't a fresh start a restart with lots of disappointment and heart and pains people desired for deliverance from their confusion and chaos and in their mind that deliverance was the return to jerusalem in near future a life free from babylonian oppression but God's deliverance looked very different. Plant gardens and multiply. Just as God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden and entrusted them to work it and take care of the gardens and be fruitful and multiply, God placed Israelites in Babylon. So that's a little bit of contents in this passage. Reading this Jeremiah text with a context and a contents in mind, we see a little bit more in this text. Yes, Jeremiah 29, as Steve shared in the beginning of the service, have comforted us in our hard times, hearing that God has the plans for me, and that plan is to prosper us how many times I was comforted in my long single days, in my long years of ministry. But reading the text again with the context and contents in mind, my eyes are open to see there's actually a little bit more than that. Today's passage was an invitation for a return. Not only to a Jerusalem or to their good old times, but to first and foremost return to God. With the text context and contents in mind, when I read it, I hear God's voice of come back, return to me. Because I know the plans I have for you, the plan. The hopeful end is not just a physical relocation back to Israel. It's not just to bring you back to where it was. The plan I have is to send my son Jesus to you to live and die as one of you and for him to die on the cross so your sins will be wiped away. The plan, the plan that God knew that God had is not just returning to a few months ago when they were back in Jerusalem. It's not just several years ago when Israel was at heyday. It's not even go back to when they are in the promised land, just first promised land with all this hopes and excitement. It's past that. It's past the Exodus, past the time that God made a covenant with Abraham, past the time of God has promised all this great thing with Noah. It's even past that, it's back when, back when Adam and Eve and God was all live in a perfect harmony. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden, everything is well. They couldn't keep a promise. And they were when they realized what they have done, they were hiding in a garden out of shame, out of guilt. Maybe they realized the gravity of what they have done. They didn't want to be found by God, so they hid. They heard God's voice. They didn't want to say anything. They were in hiding, covering their ears. They don't want to, be, they want to, hear, they don't want to hear God's voice. They don't want to go out and seek God. That wasn't a God's plan. God's plan is to restore the whole world, the whole creation, so that we no longer, Israelites no longer have to hide in shame and in guilt and in fear and in uncertainties. But they can come out and seek God, and God can be found so that they will recognize God's voice when God answered them. And all of it is possible because of the plan God had with Jesus. God didn't want Israelites to go back just a few years ago when they were just living in sin of idol worship, ignoring God and just ruling the nation with injustice. God didn't want them to go back in a time where people just, couldn't keep the 10 promises carved on a stone. God didn't want to go back to the time when Abraham made a promise with his descendants and his descendants couldn't keep the promise. God wanted to go back and to move forward to something much, much greater than any of the Israelites knew and probably something that even greater than what we can imagine. In the same way God called Israelites, God is calling us today to return. And part of rework is to return, I think, to where it all began for all of us. Back to basics. And for some, I think it looks different for different people. For some of us, it means literally return to God and God's feet for the very first time. Saying, God, I didn't know you. That's who you are. I want to come back to you. You knew me when you formed me. You knew the path that I walked. You still love me. I want to know you more. Please. I want to come back to you. Maybe that's for the first time you want to return to God. Maybe for some of you, this is your 27th time. God, I've forgotten who you are. I've kicked you out from the center of my life. I want to come back to you. For some of you, returning to, returning looks like returning to maybe a very basic practice of reading the Bible. Maybe you haven't picked up the Bible for a long time. Maybe you haven't opened, really spent a time on the words. Maybe you want to get back on that. And if that's you, I hope these two things will help you Discover new things in a text that you thought was, makes no sense, boring, or too familiar. Whatever the ways God is calling you to return, whether to God, Godself, or to back to the basic of reading the Bible, wonderful thing about it is that you don't have to do it alone. Because this is not going to be easy. You may decide to return to God. You don't know how to do it. You may feel like you can't do it again. You may want to pick up how to read the Bible, and you're like, oh, I'll start a Monday, and I couldn't continue on Tuesday. Happens all the time, and that's why we do it together as a community. If this is the first time you're joining us, if you don't know any of us, we'll love to get to know you and do this journey of reworking together with you. If you've been a part of it, it's been a pleasure doing the reworking with you, and I look forward for more of rework we get to do. So to end this time, could I send you with a prayer as we all engage in our rework of return. Let us pray. God, we come before you as a community you gathered. Uh, some of us are worshiping together, first time together with each other, Some of us have been worshiping together for so many years. God, we give thanks for this community, this church, that we can gather together to worship you. Lord, we ask that as each of us will engage in a work of returning. Pray, God, that, Lord, uh, we be able to do this together as a community. Help us encourage one another To read the Bible. Help us to see wonderful things in your law. Help us to see the new things in your stories. And help us to love you even deeper in what you have done, Jesus. For those who want to return to you, God, pray that we be able to um, ask people around us to pray with, share, and encourage to return to you. Encourage each other so we will not give up. A journey to you. God, I ask that um, if any of the things I have said today is not sent by you, is not your word, would you please forgive me God, would you please wipe that away from people's memories completely because if it's not sent by you, it's not your word. Help us to open the Bible with uh, trusting you and trusting uh, the text. And God, again, we ask that your word will guide our week, guide our day for each one of us this week. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much, and we pray this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen.